This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and the audiobook version of The Best Friend by Jessica Fellows. Kate, this book totally could be us, like the dark, dramatic version of our friendship. Wait, what? Yeah, Bella and Kate, they're kindred spirits like us. Bella is sensible and cautious. Kate is gregarious and just a little dangerous. Yeah, they're also totally toxic. Oh, come on. They're intense. Honestly, it's the men that ruin it all. True. When Bella and Kate come of age, a black seed is set in the heart of their relationship. Over decades, acts of both cruelty and love ferment until one shocking event tests them beyond normal limits. Way beyond. The two narrators of this audiobook make it feel like you're listening in on a pair of best friends conspiring to get into a lot of fun and trouble. The best friend explores the darkest corners of female friendship, a place where loyalty and betrayal intersect with deadly consequences. Get The Best Friend by New York Times bestselling author Jessica Fellows on Audible, Libro FM, or wherever you get audiobooks today. On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we chat with Caitlin Monroe Howes about her debut novel, The Awoken. Caitlin is an L.A.-based award-winning writer and Emmy-nominated documentarian. An Atlanta native and an alum of NYU, Caitlin co-founded 127 Pictures, a documentary production company. Her work often tackles systematic inequities and combats uninformed bias as she strives to tell stories that upend the status quo. I mean, I can't imagine anything more perfect for us here. (laughs) Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much for having me. So tell our listeners just a little bit about The Awoken. Yeah, so The Awoken is about this a young woman who gets terminal cancer, dies in 2020. Before she dies, she decides to cryogenically preserve her body, which is not the science fiction part. Anybody can right now go off and do that. You can call up this company and say, I want to cryogenically preserve my body, please. We don't yet wow. have the science to bring us back, but people are doing it. There's thousands of people who have chosen just like my main character does. So she freezes herself, not knowing if one day science is going to be able to bring her back. And then turns out they do. Science figures it out. And then she comes back a hundred years later and she comes back into a very different world than she expected. It's a world where it's actually illegal to be a resurrected human being. And so she does a lot of things that I don't want to give away, but she, <laughs> yes, she, yes. she sets off on the course to try and fight for the, the rights of people like her, people who are called the Awoken. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's such a strong hook. I mean, I don't know how you can hear that premise and not want to follow this journey. Like, what is going to happen? Oh, exactly. thank you. So, but before we sort of dive into the book, we do want to start with the very personal inspiration for this story. We had read the incredible article that you wrote 
for the millions that begins, yeah. I was 17 years old when I died. And of course, the first line of The Awoken is, I was 23 years old when I died. And the circumstances yeah. are very different. We know this is not autofiction, but we'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about what happened to you and how that infused this novel. Sure. So I, I was 17 years old when I died. I had a pretty devastating car accident on my way to school my junior year. I still have scars on my face from where it happened and there's still glass in my head from where my head went through the, the window. I was dead for many minutes. I think it was like 10 minutes, they said, before they could resuscitate me. They did resuscitate me, spoiler alert, I'm, <laughs> I came back to life. But obviously that was a very traumatic experience for me. And what's interesting is I started writing this book and I wrote this book for a year and a half and I had no idea that that's what I was writing about. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, oh, you wow. said it so perfectly, like the line, that I was 17 years old when I died, which I had been saying my whole life. I love to use that as like an icebreaker being like, hey, guess what? <laughs> yeah. I died. And that line was the first line in the book. And I still, there was like this, this neural disconnect where I couldn't put together that that's what I was writing about, that I was writing about my own death. You know, for me, I started writing this book because I make documentaries and I was so, so just angered and a lot of the, my experiences making documentaries, I make documentaries a lot about like marginalized communities. And I was just so angered by some of what I've seen in the world about how we can so easily other people that we feel are different than us, we can really ostracize them and, and condemn them. And I wanted to explore that. I wanted to explore this instinct in us to really vilify people who we think are different than us. So that's why, that's like how my head got into writing right. this book. I wanted to take a girl who's sort of always been kind of normal and just drop her in a world where she's all of a sudden, she's the other. She's the person who's kind of vilified and, and the enemy of everybody around her. So that's where my head came into it. And it wasn't until I got into, I got my, I read my first draft of my novel and I had it all complete. And I read the whole thing back and I was like, I like literally, I felt like I turned ghost white. And I went out to my husband and I was like, I, I think this is about my car accident. And he just looked at me and he was like... <laughs> Yeah. Duh. yeah. Exactly. Oh, he was probably oh, like, man. what? Oh, <laughs> he knew the whole time. And I was like, you didn't want to tell me? Yeah. So the, when I died, I have, and I still think about it a lot where it, it, there was this like really stark nothingness when I was, I guess, without a heartbeat and without life. And, you know, it wasn't like this like beautiful, warm light. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any of that. It was just like this very strong feeling of nothingness. And so that's what really, that nothingness became, it's like almost a character in the book. You know, it's something that really haunts the main character as well. So that was what made me, when I, when I was reading about the nothingness, when I went back and was reading about the nothingness, I was like, oh, I get it. I get what I'm doing here. Yes. <laughs> Trying to make sense of that, right? Yeah. I have always been obsessed with dying and coming back. I don't know what this is. I, I don't, this, I had a much smaller level moment that you're talking mm -hmm. about when I was like, when I was reading this book and I'm like, why am I so obsessed with this? I know I saw Flatliners as a kid and I was obsessed. I'm like, I'm going to be a doctor. I have no ability to be a doctor, but I was like, I want to do this. I want to experience that. By the way, you watch that movie. It's not good. It's not, doesn't no. turn out well for any of those people, but still no. I was, obsessed and I, I there's been many books since then that I've read about the afterlife and people who do die and come back and what they experience and how they experience it I don't it's just something that I find really fascinating and so your book obviously 
fed into that for me and really yeah. was like, oh my God, I didn't know this was something I was obsessed with. <laughs> and not to I make you really feel natural. better, maybe you don't need to, but you are not the first author that this has happened to, that we've oh, spoken yes. to, oh, that, that was writing oh, really? something that, oh my gosh, that they had no idea <sighs> was so clearly about themselves or some wound or some past thing. And, and same exact thing afterwards, they'd say friends or family members or people in their writing group were like, yeah, of course that's what it was about. And they're like, wait, what? So it happens very often. That makes me feel a lot better. I yeah. felt super dumb. I was like, oh, how no. did I not notice? No, yeah. no, the writer's subconscious, right? Julie Buxbaum was the first one we heard oh. say that to mm-hmm. us. And so many authors have said, just recently, Annabelle Monaghan yeah. was like, it's it's deep. It's yeah. deep. Yeah, she <laughs> she said yeah she said she had as a child character in it she's like when I reread it I was like that was me as a 10 year old oh my god but she said she didn't realize it until she was in copy edits like the book was printed (laughs) done and then she was looking at something she was like oh my god this is me I was working something out here yeah and the other thing authors say some who've written multiple books will say look back and go oh my god I've been talking about the same wound or I've been threading the same like needle for for four books or eight books that oh, are yeah. very different yes. and you know but still always grapple that with that same fundamental mm-hmm. so like, like you said wound or theme or whatever it is yeah yeah as so, a reader i love reading like a lot of the same author's books back to back because i love finding that right that kind of yeah. underlying thread that this clearly mm-hmm. this person's soul is just constantly grappling with mm-hmm. i love uh, reading that in and from an author yes yeah, same same okay so let's talk some more about Alabine, 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 Alabine. Mm-hmm. Rivers. Yeah. When she's brought back to life, she's pretty kind of upset about the state of things, rightfully so. There's still no cure for her disease, and the love of her life is not there. But there's an exchange on page 97. A man, Wade, and he is kind of giving her a pep talk, but it's not a friendly pep talk. <laughs> it's what she needs, though. And you know, Kate and I could talk to you forever about how much we need these kind of these kind of words. But he says to her, you have power in this world, even if you don't see it yet, people will listen to you. That's a privilege and an obligation. Soon you'll come to realize like I have, that we will never be able to do this on our own. He let those words hang between us before continuing. I do have a plan as much as you may not care. I promise you will get your cure that and so much more. Oh, I mean, so we love women that are pushing themselves and and finding out more about themselves just as a rule. But we love the lesson of you can't do this alone, which is something that she needs to learn over and over, but also what she can do on her own and what she can't. And so I, I wanted to talk to you more about this theme and what it means to you and also to to your character. Yeah, I, I love that you picked it. First of all, Wade is like one of my favorites. He was so much fun to write. And he was so yes. fun. he was like always like throughout the whole book. He was always like my guiding light. I was like, okay, what would Wade do? Oh, I love <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I love that. I don't think anyone's picked that quote to read back to me yet. So I'm, thank you for doing that. Yeah, so I wanted so it was interesting. I love dystopian fiction. I love female driven science fiction and dystopian fiction and all of that. But what I wanted to make sure I didn't fall into was this idea of like this kind of solo, rugged, reluctant hero. And I love stories that do that, but I just feel like that story has been told. And I I kind of think the world that we are in right now, that story can sometimes be not, not as effective to sort of 
for our current kind of missions and what we're trying to do in, with our current world. So I really wanted to look at this idea of someone who needs to come into their own power, who has power, who needs to find their own strength, which Alabine does, and she you know, is working her way to get there. But it's not so straightforward. It's not that she can just kind of come in and save everybody as soon as she understands, you know, and comes to terms with who she is. She has to understand her her place and how to work with the people around her, not just be this kind of solo, rugged, you know, come in with like to, you know, one horse town with like her guns on her belt. You know, it's different than that. It's more complicated. It's more complex. And Wade gets at it there and she really doesn't understand until the very end of the book quite what that means. And then, you know, she has to figure out what to do at that point. So that that was sort of, I'm, I love that you read that because it, it was a, it's a nuance of the theme that I wanted to play with the idea of this person, this female empowerment story, but also a female empowerment story that, that looks at everyone else around you and says, okay, I'm not just going to be able to save everybody myself. No one can save right. everyone on their own. So mm-hmm. how, how do you work with everybody else and everyone else's strengths and use that to try and get to this better good, to try and fight for the rights of people? You know, when we see that a lot today in like various, you know, civil rights movements, you know, where it's like whenever one person tries to like come forward and be like, I can save the day. It never works. It's about everyone coming together and understanding. Yeah. It feels like a much more modern version, Mm -hmm. not just of the hero's journey. And it does feel like you're saying more relevant to the world that we live in. We can't, a lot of the problems come around not enough unity and we need someone who can bring people together. We don't need someone to just lead out front. It needs to yes. be a, a, a uniting of, of differences. And so exactly. I love I that. Love I love it love too, that. though, as you're saying from the female empowerment perspective, yeah. because we have, I think, gotten the message a little wrong, or I personally have gotten the message a little wrong, <laughs> which is, you know, in empowering women, I will speak only for myself. Somehow I thought that meant, okay, well, then I have to do everything. I have to fix yeah. everything. I have to figure this all out on my own. I have to leave, you know, no, but you, you can do that, but also ask for help and also realize yeah. that other people can work with you or partner with you and that maybe together, you know, you can accomplish more things or get what you need or whatever. And, you know, somehow I miss that message, but I really love it in here. Yeah, because, <laughs> no, yeah. because there aren't enough models of something like this where as you said she is strong Mm -hmm. she is powerful she is the key to a lot Mm -hmm. but you can't do it alone so the two ideas are hard to hold together that that you are important and you have power that no one else has but yet you can't do it alone and I don't think we've had enough models of that and I've as Kate, you know, I fall victim to the same thing. Like that means I'm empowered to do everything I want to do. So yeah, exactly. We all want to be Katniss, right? We want to be the one who goes out and doesn't need anybody and just like saves the world on our own. We all want that. And it's just, I think it puts, it's too too much much. pressure. Yes. Too much pressure. And it's too much. It doesn't mean that Alibine does any less in the book. She does everything that, that within her scope to do, but she just realizes these, these situations are more complex than that. You know, we can't just like shoot an arrow and save the day as, as awesome yeah. as that is to do yeah. we right. can't always do that and it was a very important part of the book for me and I, I thought like you said it's a kind of a complicated thing because you don't want it to seem like oh I'm putting this isn't really a female empowerment story because it is and I was so glad to find in my editor that she not only she did she understand that but she helped me craft that message throughout mm. and make sure that I was kind of always staying on point for that so that was a really fantastic collaboration process with my editor as well who really like supported in- me 
the fiction in action. That's amazing. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, as you mentioned, this story does focus on cryogenics and the conflict in this future world where it's illegal to be a resurrected person, as you said. And I read another article that you wrote recently in which you said, like any good science fiction, at its core, it's a story that serves as an allegory for modern issues we face. Through writing this novel, I set out to examine the ethical debate of scientific advancement, as well as the growing fears around suppressing access to medical procedures, something highly poignant in this post-Roe world we've found ourselves in. The central question being, should we ever make science a crime? And I'd love to hear more about this intersection between ethics and morality and science that you explore in that article, but obviously in the novel as well. Yeah, it's it's funny. You might have to stop me here because I'm like obsessed with this and I could yeah. just talk. I read I read articles about this all the time. You know, it's really interesting, especially in America. We spent most of the 20th century having this idea that science was great and let's do it and let's not put any restrictions on it. And this is our freedom. And and that really started to change kind of right at the turn of the millennium. And we had we, there was the shift like cloning started becoming possible. We started seeing this kind of shift where science fiction started becoming reality. And I love science fiction. I grew up on it. But also a lot of science fiction tells us to be scared of science. There's a lot of like, mm-hmm. ooh, there's a future where we could lose our humanity if we, if we invest too much of our time in science. So we started having that shift. And that's continued throughout you know, the, the, this part of the millennium. And it's going to continue and continue. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be a restriction on science. I don't have an answer. I'm just a writer. I try to write things that are fun to read. <laughs> and, but it's a, const, it's a constant question that I'm, that I'm asking myself, should we restrict this? Should we restrict innovation, science? You know, A lot of this is about access to, to medicine and access to healthcare and what that means and who gets it and you know, the, you know, the wealthy and the privileged versus the, the marginalized communities. That's all, it's all related. And when yeah. if you look at, you know, I wrote this book obviously a long time before Roe, not a long time, but a couple of years before the overturning of Roe, but there's a very similar Supreme Court overturn in the book. That's very, you know, a big part of the plot. And I, I, I obviously didn't know Roe was going to be overturned, but I knew that that was the one that that was the case that I was looking at because I knew that that was always sort of the threat. That was always sort of the possibility of what might happen. So that's I was looking at that fear in the book, this idea that we have this access, we have this ability right now. And what happens if that's all of a sudden taken away? So maybe my thought is that it's not such a good thing, but I really just want to ask the questions more than come yeah. up with the answers, you know? Right. Yeah. Have the yeah, dialogue. Well, Exactly. Because that's the only way. It's again, the same idea of like, it's not our empowerment doesn't mean you present the final answer. The empowerment is really, especially in modern and complex topics like you're talking about, is really about having the conversation and starting that and, and putting it out there. Since you just mentioned that the court case I won't, again, I won't go into it too much, but I do want to touch on the love story. I'm going to read a little bit, which I just fell for right away. We read, he went on to tell me how important the story of Max's love for me was, important not only to the Awoken and the Resurrectionists, but to the whole country, even the world. Our love was that of legend, like Anthony and Cleopatra or Odysseus and Penelope. Max became the leader and founder of this civil rights movement. Again, something that is normally or in an old way of thinking, 
antithetical to a strong woman is love. She she will be distracted by love. She will be lessened by love. She will be held down or held back by love. That is not the case mm-hmm. in this book. No. So I wanted to talk a- You're about that. You're preaching to Corinne's choir here. This yes. is so, <laughs> I, uh, so true. Yeah. yeah, so the love story was incredibly important to me from from the very beginning. I mean, Max, and, and I also way, I think not until copy edits that I really realized that Max was based off of my husband who really has helped me. But my husband's amazing and probably an even better feminist than I am. He empowers mm-hmm. and supports me and I, I get constantly stronger through our love. And I was so, I, I'm obsessed with him. So I wanted to put that obsession into this book. Every step of the way, Max is the one that is propping up Alibi. Max is the one who is constantly putting his life basically in service of her and of, and, and of what's in her life. Um, and it's this really beautiful story that A, was super fun to write because <laughs> I just yeah. love a good love yeah. story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also I wanted to, again, go along those lines of like, it's not about us going out there and doing this alone. It's about us constantly leaning on each other. And Alabine and Max do that, even though, you know, he's no longer in this world that she wakes up in. They still, you see how he leaned on her after she died and you see how she needs to still continue to lean on him, even though he's not physically there with her. So to have this idea that we can support each other and we can empower each other without even physically being there was a really important thing for me to convey as well. I mean, it transcends time, their love. Yes. Yes. But I also love that idea and I always have trouble expressing it, the idea that like I don't talk a lot about my husband, but you know, I, I sometimes can find it false when people are like, you know, I sometimes everyone just the obligatory, you know, birthday or Father's Day or whatever post and I never do those things, mm. which can look like not nice or not what but I but as Kate knows and, and anyone who knows me knows like I attribute yes. everything good in my mm-hmm. life to my husband and not because he did anything I did I did it mm-hmm. yeah. but through our love through our relationship through our growth together the way he pushes me the way he supports me all of those things and so it's hard to convey that, and I, I love yeah. that you were doing that here. I think you oh, did. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, and I love that you say that, too. I think, I think it's great and so important to hear more stories of, of really you know, mutually supportive love like that in relationships. I think that's really important, and I feel like we hear so much about the issues with love today, which, trust me, there are tons, and I get it, and I know it. I'm not di- mm. dismissing that at all, but I do think that there, there is some really great love out there, and I tried to just put that in the book and just to have like a nice, like a nice relationship to be able to look up to. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, it used to be when it was the man who did it uh, about the woman, it, it's like she was had to be in the shadows, like, oh, but I couldn't do mm-hmm. without her. It almost seemed like placating or just, you know, just a token. Oh, I couldn't do any of this without her. Well, where is she? You know, like, but now I think that the roles are reversed more often. We see that it's no, this is real. Like, Really, you don't see my husband. He's behind the scenes all the time for what I do, but I couldn't do it without him. I'm yeah, sorry. absolutely. And I, I struggle with that a little bit. I wanted to make sure, in and when I was first coming up with the this like, book, you know, that was all sort of in place. But I wanted to make sure Max felt really present. I didn't want mm. to. 
make him seem like a shadow or like he was too far in the background because they didn't want to seem like, oh, he just did this thing and then now she has to go off and run. So that's what that's that was what led me to come up with this idea of the lucid memories, which are in the book, yes. where instead of just having yes. these flashbacks, I, I said that part of the way that your brain tries to kind of make sense of your two lives is you have these things called lucid memories, which is obviously based on lucid dreaming, where it's like, you know, you have a dream, and but you kind of know you're dreaming and you're sort of aware that you're dreaming. And you have which is something your... else I'm totally obsessed with. I wrote like a, a, a like a junior high paper on it. Was so obsessed. I used to I, I used to try to do it for myself. And it's like you have to tell yourself before you go to sleep. And I think at the time I was really obsessed with Mario and Princess Peach. And I would like I wanted to fly, and I'd be Princess Peach flying. It's so bizarre oh that God. all Did of these work? themes are. Oh, it it absolutely worked. Wait, so you wrote a paper on this in junior high, and I wrote a paper on cryogenics in high school, by the way, in Walt Disney World. Oh, yes. This was like a research You have been in our brains for for many years. And you had me researching. So then I started researching before this interview, like what you've already said at the beginning of this, like, do people still get frozen? Can they come out yet? I don't think so, but let me check. What is the current research? Like, it was totally Back down the rabbit hole. Same. Same. Oh my god. Yeah, I used to have I used to have lucid dreams, but they were nightmares, so it was terrifying. I was uh, they were basically like these night terrors, oh. I think is what they call them now. But yeah, so I would be stuck in a nightmare and I know I was in a nightmare, but it it almost made the pain like yeah. I'd get stabbed and I'd feel it worse. Oh, oh it was terrifying. But so yeah, I, I took that idea and turned it into lucid memories. Yeah, which I, is so cool. I, yeah, I, I yeah, exactly. And I I have that too the bad one where I know like I can see myself in a bad situation and I know I should yell and I can't yell and I'm like yes I I have that I I still have that and now yes I have a son and so I'll have nightmares about him and like I can't get to him or something's happening with him Mm -hmm. and like I know and I know what's happening and I want to fix and I can't it's terrifying I like wake up so exhausted from those nights yeah exactly like you need anything else to be exhausted about it's true though (laughs) it's so true oh my gosh it's so crazy yeah Yeah. Oh, boy, you guys. Okay, so speaking of supporting other people, though, if I can build off that, you know, we are a podcast focused on women and celebrating female creators. And in your acknowledgments, you said there are so many amazing writers who don't find a champion who will fight for their words. I was lucky enough to find mine in two extraordinary women, and you're referring to the help and love of Issa Rae of Insecure fame and her producing partner, Denise Davis. So can you tell us a little bit more about your collaboration with them and the support that you've received from them? Absolutely. So I, I had been writing for a while, making documentaries and writing, and I had, I'd never written a book before. I loved reading and I always was an avid reader, but I never honestly even really thought about it. I was like a screenwriter. So that's what I thought about. But I started writing just it kind of was pouring out of me and I started writing this thing and I thought I was going to turn it into a script so I just started writing it and then there was this day that I was like I am not big into social media but I like finally it was like 2017 I downloaded Twitter on my phone and the first tweet that I saw was Issa Rae announcing that she was doing this initiative for underrepresented writers and all you had to do was apply with like a one-page synopsis and I was like I literally just wrote this on this project that I have no idea what it is So let me submit it. So I submitted it months and months later, I ended up winning the initiative and I got all of the amazing 
attention and support and development from, from her and her producing partner, Denise Davis. And they were like, so not only just like developing the project with them, but we did, you know, because it was this initiative, we did so much talking about how to stand up for your vision, you know, mm. how to be a woman in this industry, which they are both like making such headway, not only for women, but also women of color. But like, they're just amazing, the kind of invaluable lessons that they taught me throughout that whole process. And then at the end of it, they were the ones who introduced me to my agent who then went off and helped me sell oh. this book. So they very indirectly and directly helped me get this book out into the world. And to this day, they're still so supportive of me and the book and the story. And I feel like every, every artist needs someone like that. And it's obviously yeah. not always like an Issa Rae, but I feel like you can never, again, you can never do it on your own. You sort of always need somebody to help you. And I was just super lucky to have found those two women. Very first time we have ever heard anything good come out of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> And that was a great story. Uh, yes, it was really, yeah, it was the first thing I saw. And I, I've barely been on Twitter since. It scares me because I hear all these terrible <laughs> things, but it did, it did help bring this story into the world. So I'll always be grateful. Mm. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good mm-hmm. one. So I, we wanted to talk about you, which something you've already brought up was motherhood. You, mm-hmm. in your acknowledgments, also thank your son. You said, a big thank you to him for sharing his first two years of life with this book as my second baby. He's grown from a newborn into a toddler, while I grew into an author and a mother, and I loved every minute of our transformation together. Mm. So we'd love to hear more about that transformation, how it's changed you. I'm assuming, or from what we've already gotten, it hasn't been one thing the way it hasn't for us either. It's yeah. it's terrifying and wonderful and exhausting and like gives you new eyes it's all of those things so yeah it was a really it was a really interesting journey it actually started back to when I was pregnant and I I had this sort of I had this issue about writing about death while being while creating life like something Mm. felt really wrong about that I almost felt guilty about writing such kind of sad things about the the nothingness and like how there might not be not anything after life while I was creating this life inside me. And then after he was born, I actually couldn't write for a little bit. I had to stop writing. I was in the middle. I was writing the beginning of the book. I, but I had to stop. I just got my agent, right? Like literally two weeks after he was born, I got in a conference call with my agents and got my agent. So it was kind of crazy. Oh and the gosh. pandemic hit at that exact same time. <laughs> he was born oh my two weeks before the lockdown. So all of that was happening at the same time. And there, so I had about a quarter of the book written. My agents were like, do you want to finish this before taking it out? And I tried and I was like, I honestly, I'm not in the right place. I can't finish this. Can we take this out at all? Like on this partial manuscript? And they're like, we don't do it much, but sure we can try. And luckily it worked because I, I wasn't in the right place. I was like holding this beautiful little baby that was totally changing who I was on the inside. I was like, how can I possibly write at the same time? And then one day... It was, it was right after I sold the book. And I was like, I have to start writing this thing. Like, yeah. it's going to be a book now. And I was holding him and I was just like, I think I can do this. And I, I can't tell you what sort of clicked, but I just kind of opened up the document and I started writing. And it still didn't feel quite right at first. It was, it was still hard to write such dark things while holding him. But then I started, this is going to sound so cheesy, but I'm kind of cheesy like this. I started imagining mm. him as like a little shield for me. Like where he was almost protecting me 
and that he was this like strong awesome like beacon of light that could kind of protect me from all these dark things that I had to write about and yeah so it was amazing he taught me how to be not only a great mother but a great author too so (laughs) it was really fun oh my gosh Yeah. Are you well, dying to find out her sign now, Corinne? You are. Yes. I was going to say, we're very into woo woo. I know you are. <laughs> yes. Right? Ridiculous. I'm, I'm an Aquarius. I'm an Aquarius. <gasps> okay. Oh. This actually makes a They're like the visionary of the zodiac. Look at oh. this. Yeah. I love that you're into this. I'm very, I'm not, my sister's super into all this stuff and she tells me things all the time, but I've always been really drawn to other Aquariuses. My, mm. the reason my documentary production company is called 127 Pictures is, is my. Your, I, we both are born on 127 yeah so we both have the exact same birth date i was going to guess are you an aquarius yes my my best friend in high school was born on 127 i'm very drawn to people with my birthday apparently wait it's not even just just aquarius Aquarius. (laughs) i know it's my day (laughs) i gotta get out i mean we can't do i gotta get out the birthday book then for people born on that day there's a book that i love that even yeah it doesn't even just analyze you know your sign it's your your actual day by your actual day but yeah, oh, this yeah. Is, makes sense. And also Aquarius is obviously outside the box free thinkers, but focus on the collective, yeah. you know. Oh, absolutely. And, yes. Oh, yes. 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 Oh, no, they are tracking. always leading the charge to make things better, whether they're that's for their everyone. small world, their big world. Oh, yes, wow. exactly. For everyone. Oh, I don't around. know if I knew that. Yes. It's, yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's perfect for you. Look I love that. it. <laughs> And not only have you been in our brains since junior high, you are incepting every next question. <laughs> so oh, perfect. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Well, we like to end with asking what else that you're loving. Is a TV show, a maybe a documentary, a book you're reading, anything mm-hmm. that you're really into, passionate about? we love to share with our listeners. I just finished watching the first season of Sandman, which was great. I'm like obsessed with that was perfect because it was like fantasy, which I love, but like with the lead of an emo, basically it's like the lead of an emo band guy. And I was like, yes, this is completely for me. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. My husband just got me a t-shirt that says elder emo. So I'm there with you. Oh, yeah. yes. oh my God, my I need God. that t-shirt. Yeah. Oh, I need that. Yeah. I still listen to emo music. Oh my God, like, I can't stop. I'm like so back into it. I, I don't, I'm like yes. into it harder than ever. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, I love that. It's yeah. it's so good. So um, good. I still get made fun of it. But and then I just finished reading Mexican Gothic, oh, which I really, really I enjoyed love. too. Yeah, that was really good. I loved that book. I went and bought her backlist after I read that. It was I haven't read them all by yet, but it was so good. That that book changed me for sure. Yeah, it's so good and I, I really, really liked it. And I I read it so that I could read the daughter Doctor Moreau. Mm-hmm which is her, her new newest. Book. But I think I'm going to do what you did. I'm going to go back Backwards. and I think I'm read maybe all of her stuff yeah, first yeah. and then get to that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Oh, that's great. All right. Exciting. Well, tell listeners where they can find you. I know you're not big on not Twitter. Media. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I try, try not Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Caitlin M. Howes. And I do, I have been trying to post there more frequently because I do, I love sharing. There's been such a great community there's such a great book community on Instagram and I love sharing when people find the book and write about it. It's been so great to engage with that community. So yes, you can find me on there. Also, hopefully the, you know, the book, 
was picked up as an option for television. Oh, so yes, hopefully yes. you can find it soon on TV yes. as well. Yes. We tell um, us a little so, bit about that, whatever you can share. Yeah. So I'm working with Keshet who did like Homelands and all those great, just, just such a great plethora of really, really good shows. And they've been really good partners from the beginning. They've just understood the characters, all the themes that we've been talking about. You know, that was my fear about in an adaptation, which I've always seen this could be a great TV show. I was worried, do you lose all of that kind of the juicy stuff that I, that kind of inspired me to write it to begin with. And they, from the beginning, they were always such big champions of that and the character driven story. So that's why I saw they were, they were fantastic partners. So yeah, we're currently working on that and it's really exciting and hopefully more news will come out about it soon. Are you working on the writing of it or is someone else? Yeah. 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 I'm writing it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're writing it. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's great. That's oh, great. Then it will have another life. That's what we love about adaptations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Especially for this life. book. It's all about second lives. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely right. <laughs> A resurrection. I love it. There you go. The story. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kate. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. You guys were so awesome to chat with. What sometimes these are so not not difficult, but they're so like hard and you guys made it all so easy. So thank you so much. Oh, you are welcome. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.